0: Well, Richard, we did it. What did we do? We're in the second season. Oh, boy. And we we have a new person in the cast. We have a new person in the cast. Can we not dwell
1: on this new person in the cast? You don't like him? Fuck Chekhov.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: I do not like Chekhov because I don't know. There is something about him that just his haircut. His, like... Look, his little... I just want to beat the shit out of him every time he's on screen.
0: I'm fairly certain that that was a wig. At least in the second episode we watched for this week.
1: Yeah, well, it was really bad and it shouldn't have been.
0: The hairstyles on the original series not great i'm gonna say i don't know
1: i like yeoman Rand's basket
0: no the women are fine it's just the men like don't have a good like they just didn't care enough but I nobody guess.
1: has that bad of a hairstyle
0: well that was an in hairstyle back then you have to remember i know and
1: yeah. that was
0: also apparently an in hair i mean i imagine that what occurred uh was that they cast walter koenig as as check off the the russian navigator um and uh, uh, he wanted him to have that haircut, and he didn't have that haircut, and so they needed him to wear a wig until his hair grew out. I'm assuming that's what happened. I don't know.
1: So, so I
0: wasn't there.
1: Now they added him to get the kiddies watching, right?
0: Well, like the, that was a thing. Not really. The, the 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 like standard story behind Chekhov is that Pravda of all things wrote an article about Star Trek. And said, oh, it's, it's the future and it's space and we have a very strong space program, but there's no Russian on this imperialist capitalist American television program, Star Trek. Uh, and Gene Roddenberry saw that article. Someone brought it to his attention on the crew or whatever. Uh, one of the producers, okay. I guess, who read Pravda because they were a communist. Um, probably Gene L. Kuhn. Rest in peace. More like Gene L. Kami. There you go. Uh, like he didn't even hide it he he didn't I mean he wore red all the time uh, he smoked large cigars just L like is, look you're a bunch
1: of capitals list assholes and you know the revolution's gonna come that's what it stood for
0: Pete several million people in gulags in north dakota so mm,
1: nice hot bowl of gulag mm, and some dumplings i really
0: wish gulag was a food it I, sounds like it should be
1: i know and then you could be like yeah soviet russia had a gigantic gulag and it's like yeah i totally get why everyone was there like they just sent everyone to the gulag you know because it was dinner time
0: i feel like it would have tarragon in it well of course and it
1: would like you'd have to cook it for like six hours mm,
0: sounds good yeah maybe i'm just hungry i could eat So, And then, of course, Gene Roddenberry was like, yes, that is a good point. We should have a Russian. And so he wrote a letter to Pravda, which I guess you could do. Um, (laughs) And then they created the character of Chekhov, and suddenly Chekhov appeared. Now, is that true? I don't know. Um, I I, I have no reason to doubt it, but it seems kind of too pat to me. The letter is real. I mean, I've read it. Um, He did write a letter to Pravda. Okay. Um, But, you know, I, I can't really see that. Like a a, a Hollywood uh, professional writing a, a letter to Pravda of all things would have been good for anybody involved. Yeah, in, I was in say, the television I, show I, in 1967, but we'll leave that aside.
1: Yeah, I I can't see that being a good thing. But not the, really. The, the point is, so in order to you know still show in good faith that you know Roddenberry was not on the side of the Russians, they created Chekhov to be horrible.
0: That could be. That yeah. totally could be. Um, yeah, I don't know. Why why don't you like checkoff? I mean, okay, so we don't really get a whole lot of checkoff in a muck time. We get a little more checkoff in our second episode for this week, whom words for uh, Adonis, Adonis, however you pronounce it. Um, so maybe um, well, we should save checkoff for then, but Yes, let's let's
1: <laughs> we've introduced checkoff and we're gonna discuss him later in the show. Yeah,
0: okay. We're giving a teaser, so stay tuned <laughs> stay tuned for checkoff conversation. <laughs> check off station
1: no just do we have to talk about Chekhov can't we just say he sucks and just be done with it
0: I don't know you brought him up
1: fuck Chekhov
0: actually I think I brought him up but I'll say you did because it's better so what did you think about a time
1: I loved this episode this was one of my favorite episodes so far
0: it's a very good one
1: um everything's just kind of working um the music in it was especially fantastic Mm -hmm. um It gives a very interesting uh, 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 exploration of the Spock Kirk dynamic. Uh, Even you know Spock and Bones, it's in there too. Uh, You get some some sense of what Vulcan society is like. Uh, You get more about what a Vulcan is, I really liked it.
0: Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, one of the things I like the most about the episode, like you said, is that you get this um, sort of inside peek into what Vulcan society is like. And I think it makes sense. I mean, I I, I think it totally makes sense. You've yeah. got this, um, you know, by now it's been established that Vulcans are um, a race of extremely logical beings that don't have any emotions, or, well, they have emotions, but they suppress them. Um, and then it comes out, you find out it comes out in this episode in this like really horrible manner. Like, you know, there's a, there's a huge price that they pay, um, for doing this. Um,
1: and during their mating season, they basically become just total creatures of id. Yeah.
0: I mean, you, you hadn't really known anything about this episode, right? I mean, probably a little bit. I knew that
1: it existed. I knew at one point that Spock and Kirk fought. I didn't. No, it was this episode in particular. Um so when the
0: episode, so when the episode starts, then and 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 uh, you know Spock is is, I think you don't even see Spock in the episode until he throws the soup at the wall, um and and yells at Nurse Chapel and tells her to get out. I think. Yeah. Um, and then of course Kirk is walking down the hallway and witnesses this and 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 Spock comes to the door and as soon as he sees Kirk he tries to like compose himself and oh, hey everything's good no no uh, crazy people here <laughs> um which obviously Kirk doesn't buy so what i mean what did you think about that i mean what 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 sort of rationale were you putting in your head or were you even thinking about it at all
1: well i have to say that netflix is kind of awful with their episode descriptions but uh it had something like... Well, a, don't read them. I, it's very impossible to, because when you load it on the Xbox, it basically, you know, flashes up. So it's like, during Spock's pond Farm mating period, extreme emotions lead him to fight Kirk, or something like that. I well, that's know. not fun. I know.
0: You shouldn't read it. Well, it's really hard not to. Well, go back in time 20 years. Okay. And learn not to read.
1: It's too late because I was nine at that point. The Guardian of
0: Forever is down the hallway. Just go take care of it and come back. I'll wait for you.
1: If I'm going to use the Guardian of Forever, I'm not going to use it to not learn to read. I'm going to use it to put money on the stock market, to release a song I wrote called Smells Like Teen Spirit, to, you know, bet on some horses. But, you know, I'm not going to use it to not learn to read. That would be stupid.
0: No, I, I, you know, it, it. this is one of those classic Star Trek episodes. And, uh, you know, what I really like about it, of course, is, you know, what you said before about, um, you know, Kirk and Spock and McCoy and sort of really getting into yeah. the, the the triumvirate here. Um, and, you know, the fact that, that you know, Dr. McCoy, uh, it doesn't like Spock, but kind of plays it up. And, yeah, he really does like Spock. Um yeah, but, but he's, he's really concerned about what's going on. He obviously cares for him as a patient yeah. and, you know, when he finds out what's going on, he says, "Oh, well, we have to get him back to, to Vulcan." Because, you know, so one of the one of those sort of like um this episode is really it's kind of weird because it's a little low on stakes, but it's also very high on on sort of like personal. Well, the,
1: yeah, because personal the stakes, stakes are whether or not Spock's going to, you know, cuz they have to do some the time limit on this thing is—I mean, the, the, everyone on the show even acknowledges that it's kind of bullshit. There's some kind of planet that's had a revolution or something, and, and they're, they're getting a new leader, and there's a ceremony for this.
0: And can can you let the Star Trek nerd explain what the hell's going on?
1: Well, this is the to, explain, to the, this This demonstrates that you don't have to care about the, that plot.
0: <laughs> Well, you do because the internal politics of Altair Four are extremely important.
1: All right, let's hear it.
0: <laughs> They're not. I'm. I'm, I'm fucking mm. with you.
1: I thought you were going to make something up like and just go off on it. You know, no, do you no. Think that? And then I was going to do a very theatrical snore
0: <laughs>
1: because then you would have been like, well, I'm going to tell you something and I spent many days on. What's, what's the Star Trek Wikipedia?
0: Explaining why a concept would be funny if you had taken time to write it is I think what SNL has been doing for the past 12 years.
1: Well, then I'm ripping off a good thing
0: yeah no so the whole the 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 episode is sort of set up with um you know the enterprise is kind of slim it's like a rubber band, like you know uh oh, they're yeah. going to they're going to Altair four because they have to the the federation wants to have strong showing from Starfleet because their their president is being yeah. inaugurated and they had a civil war and you know, it's a
1: total it's symbolic not, gesture, but it's not one of those you know if we're not there in a day, the medicine won't get there, exactly or, millions
0: of people are going to die or whatever
1: which we've seen before this and at one point, Kirk is explicitly says, look, there's going to be two other starships there. You know, it, you know we explain, look, our, our, we had a major emergency we had to take care of. You know, they'll understand. You know, you get another starship there. You know, there's there's options. Yeah.
0: That- and the nice thing, of course, is that, like, you know, Kirk um, is following his orders because, of course, he has to. Uh, yeah. uh, and, and absent any other reason, um, which is, you know, not normally something Kirk does, but we'll leave that to the side for right now. Uh, and then, you know, Spock... Um, orders the ship uh, to go to Vulcan and then Kirk you know, orders the ship to go back to Altair Four, And then finally McCoy is yeah. like, dude, you got to get Spock to Vulcan. Like, it's not good.
1: I have to say at this point, so there have been several moments where it's like, okay, Spock's doing something unusual or disobeying an order or whatever. And I have said, okay, well, Kirk allows this because he recognizes Spock wouldn't do this for just a... At this point, how many times has he done this? I wonder if like... Kirk should be at the point where he should start to not trust Spock because Spock should be telling him this from the get-go. Do you know what I mean? And I recognize that, yeah, he he says, oh, there's a very cultural taboo against talking about this pretty much, but how many times have we seen Spock disobey direct orders for his own agenda? A lot of times. A couple? Several times, and that's just that we've seen on screen – in two seasons worth what happened to all of the missions they did before the series started like i if you watch the show spock does not have a good track record of obeying kirk well i mean uh, he has his reasons but still that's not okay that he's keeps that, doing
0: this that may or may not be true i mean i would need actual examples not just sort of like he's done it a lot um but in terms of the Kirk and Spock relationship and the sort of command structure that's there. I don't see it as a problem because Kirk is definitely the type of officer to disobey orders himself. If he thinks it's right, he thinks it's the right thing to do. And I think that he values and respects like independent thinking and, uh, you know, conviction more than, you know, mindlessly following orders if it's the right thing to do. And, I don't believe there's ever been a case that we've seen where Spock has gone half cocked on his own and has done something terrible no he's always so, had a good reason
1: for that I but think... again, why doesn't he talk to Kirk about these earlier if he's he's also understood by now that Kirk is willing to take other solutions into consideration you know if if You know, Spock only tells about what Ponfar is in a moment of desperation. Yeah, But if you'd proactively gone to Kirk and been like, look, no, seriously, like, this is a matter of life and death. Like, that may have been something different.
0: Yeah, I can. I mean, I can see your point, but you wouldn't have an episode then. And, um, you know, I would
1: because the bulk of the episode takes place on the planet.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe like 20 minutes of it does. It's actually quite a long time you're on the ship, like dealing with this whole like back and forth stuff. Um, and maybe they could have fleshed out Vulcan more, but then again, they were working on a limited budget. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. they lowered their budget this season and, you know, they didn't get a chance to do any exterior shooting on for, for, for the Vulcan scenes and they all take place on one set. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I think it's sold well enough because we've seen many examples in the first season where Spock really doesn't like showing emotion yeah. and, he really really Of course this is very, yeah. He really really finds it objectionable, he finds it insulting, he finds it em- embarrassing even. And it's it's a huge huge cultural taboo for Vulcans and it's also a huge personal taboo for Spock because in Spock's own mind being half human, he has to be uber Vulcan. He he can't even allow himself to get away with some of the things that maybe a normal Vulcan would, because he always has to be on the up and up. It's like living in, you know, North Korea or something where Mm -hmm. you have to be in person, your personal life and your private life. You have to be like, as, as, you know, perfect as possible.
1: We kind of have the orthodoxy of the convert in a lot of ways.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. That may not be something that comes naturally to him. So yeah, he can't let any of it slip. And, this is an episode where he does let a lot slip, which is again interesting, but
0: But at any rate, you know, Spock did this, so we have to, you know, deal with the ramifications of that. Um and I think that the you know the 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 episode really does pick up when they get to Vulcan because, you know, we we get this sort of like I mean and, and does it make much sense that, that they would have this sort of like um biological drive to go back to Vulcan to to and it's not I mean like basically it's it's strange because the Pon Far is set up as a as a mating drive and they're talking about marriage so in that sense it's a little strange because of course it's the mid-60s and they can't just say Spock needs to go back and and yeah you know get it (laughs) get his nut off or he's gonna die um it it's that he he's going back to to be married and you know all this kind of stuff um
1: it's very clear in context what they're talking oh, about oh yeah if though. you yeah
0: i mean if you look behind between the between the lines of course you know exactly what's going on
1: i have to say this is the ultimate like the, the, this sounds like when i was 16 and i'd be like but baby like i'm going to get blue balls if you don't you know so like you really got it like this is like Spock saying look look baby look if we don't like get married like I'm gonna die so you got it like
0: you know I mean there's a really nice line where uh you know Spock says there's there's precedent for this you know the the the, the giant birds of blah blah planet which is like made up and then. The salmon of your own earth, <laughs> which I really liked as a as a as a writing, you know, like as a piece of writing, because it sets it up as oh, they're making this up, and then suddenly oh, right, salmon, yeah, of course, yeah, like, that's actually a thing. So it kind of makes it a little more uh, a little more believable. The the various the various militudes there more.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it's a specific mystical. If he's not in this exact you know point in space and time, he's gonna. I I consider it more of just uh, he needs to. Because it says that they're kind of bonded from childhood, so some kind of mind melding thing. So I can I can accept that there's a fact of biology that 30 years later, you know, you know, this needs to happen. Um, so I assume it was just he needs to go to Vulcan because that's just where they do it. You know what I mean? Like it's it you <laughs> you need to you need to go to some place and you know their home planet kind of makes the most logical sense
0: yeah and i kind of get the sense that i mean the 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 pond far is sort of um it's it's more fleshed out later um whereas it's not it's not specifically a time of marriage but it, it is a mating season that happens every seven years i think it is um and you know ma- you know married married vulcans also go through it you know so it's not something that is specifically just i need to get married um the implication yeah. here is that spock needs to go to vulcan because well number one there are no vulcans on the enterprise for yeah. him to, to to have sex with um and two it's just okay well if you go to the you know like when you have your pawn far that's when yeah like, ma- that's when you get married i assume this was his then- first one yeah. yeah, you get married and then you go and you do your thing and, and then you're fine for seven years.
1: Which that's a question. How old is Spock supposed to be and how what stage of life is that? Like how old? How old do Vulcan, Vulcans live?
0: The Vulcans live for a while. Okay. Uh, average lifespan for a Vulcan is I want to say like uh, like 150 years, something okay. like that. So they maybe even 200 years. So they do live quite a bit longer than humans.
1: So then if because I mean Leonard Nimoy's in his 30s at this sort. At this point, uh, late thirties, early forties. So
0: yeah, I don't know exactly how old Spock is supposed to be, um, but if you, which you know, probably makes me a bad Trekkie, But he's he's older than he's older than Kirk.
1: Yeah, but at this and he's point,
0: older than yeah. even Leonard Nimoy.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's, okay, so even then, say he's fifty. Uh at, you know, out of a hundred fifty, that's about you know puberty age, assumedly, you know, yeah. you know, and it's a little, you know, it's,
0: a, it's a little weird because like, okay, do we know it's his first pond? I mean, we, whatever, we don't know exactly what's going on and it's not really relevant to the episode. Um, but it is kind of interesting to think about and, and how they do sort of like, you know, develop it later into a, a slightly different direction. Yeah. So what did you make about the scenes on Vulcan? Because I think as as a just as a form of pageantry and yeah. like the costuming and the acting and everything that goes on and like the thought that went into developing this ceremony and it's not even something that's really it's not that involved it's not that long and it doesn't really reveal a whole lot about Vulcan society but it. Well, I should I should say it doesn't show a lot There's about a Vulcan lot. society, but it does give you a good glimpse of what exactly it is like.
1: Well, like, just stuff such as when, you know, Spock bows down to T'Pau, she briefly touches his face, and she's obviously doing some kind of, you know, mind-reading type thing, and it's it almost reminds me of a, like, how, you know, the handshake developed, because that was showing that you didn't have a weapon. I mean in a psychic society. Yeah, totally the you know the ruler or a, a monarch would quickly read the mind of a supplicant just to make sure they weren't an assassin. Like that seems almost a you know kind of moment of trust. Like little things like that. I mean, one of the reasons you watch sci-fi is to see cool shit that doesn't exist. So, yeah. You know, having a ceremony, there's like they have these instruments there. They almost look like I guess an abacus with like bells. Well, on they, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, they're just like ringing this at the time. Like there are these weapons that they have, like, it's just really, we're, what, what crazy stuff can we think of? You're going to invent a ceremony. What's, what are you imagining?
0: Yeah, exactly, and you know I like the fact that they have um, T'Pol come in on a on a, um, a, a yeah, on, yeah, exactly, and she's got her her like men servants, and you know she's got all these things going on, and she's wearing this like very elaborate yeah. like, head thing um, and these robes, uh, and she's set up as very mysterious because of course the actress who played her has this like really strong Austrian accent, yeah, so she sounds really. Uh, Really interesting. She's
1: very almost aloof and very like she knows she's in charge and she knows she's a very powerful person. And and let's
0: not forget they have her use very formal, old-fashioned language because she's calling people the – and you know, these kind of things. So yeah. of course it's setting her up as someone who's a little more above the rest very of us, yeah. very aristocratic, very old fashioned, very, almost otherworldly in this sense. And that kind of really, I mean, because obviously this is a soundstage. This is a set, you know, the, 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 the this is not on a planet. This is not a real, you know, this is not a real. Oh um, really? Cause
1: I thought they went to Vulcan to film. This. Well,
0: they wanted to, but it was just going to cost too much. And the Saturn five rocket was already in use. Um, but it does. I mean, it really makes it effective, and it's like, and I, th- I like the way that I like the way that it's cu- shot too and cut together because you've got these like really quick, especially in the fight scene, you've got these really like quick uh, cuts, and it's it's like you don't really see that on yeah. you only really see that on television of the '60s, and you really didn't see that kind of stuff even on Star Trek until then, and it's not something they do that much, but when they do it, it's really cool.
1: And, of course, that music, you know, I, I knew that song, and I didn't realize that it was from this. I mean, I, I, I love that weapon. In the video game, you would hit X, and it would choose from the, you know, it would switch from the blunt side to the bladed side. I like that round two was guitar straps, by the way. That, that's very effective. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like, okay, we're going to start with a deadly weapon, and then we're going to hit each other with, like, straps of cloth.
0: So what 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 do you what do you get out of the ceremony though? Like what sort of impression? Because they don't really tell you anything about Vulcan society. They're showing you a lot of stuff. What 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 do you think it's like? Well, I mean, it.
1: I, I and I love the line where you know, Kirk says like, "Well, I thought that this was would have been. I, I assumed that this all would have been handled very logically. You know." cuz yeah up till that point you think okay probably mate you know breeding it, you know they they've probably I don't want to say eugenics but you probably have a very here's my qualities okay what's the what's going to benefit Vulcan society the best well that's your you know that's who you procreate with you would assume that there would be something like that or you know it would be mostly political marriages or whatever for you know something like that so And yet it seems almost that it's this very primal animalistic, like, you fight for a mate type thing. I mean, she – and I get the sense that there is a lot of – because you have a society with no emotion in it. So therefore, what you're logically going to do is – going to be divorced from any feelings of love or compassion or sympathy you're only going to do something altruistic because it would you know benefit more people than acting selfishly um which is still selfishness in the long run um and so i think vulcan society has to be extremely bloodthirsty you have spock's wife who makes this really nasty little plan where i mean no matter what way she does, you know? What whatever happens, she comes out ahead. I mean, even Spock, like when when she tells him, he doesn't even seem to be upset because he's like, "Well, that's logical, you know? Yeah, that make that um, he agrees that you know she came up with a great evil plan."
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 interesting, of course, because. As soon as this happens, as soon as the 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 fight is over, you know the the Ponfar leaves Spock, and he's completely okay again, which which is interesting on a, on a sort of like a biological level, um, you know, and the fact that he he's he's sort of able to have that reaction to her unfurling this plan is interesting because. Yeah, he's back to his normal self. You know, he he's unemotional. He won't get upset at this because yeah. she was just doing what she thought was logical, which I think is interesting because yeah. it's never said, right? Because the way this is set up to Pring is Spock's uh, betrothed yeah. and there's this really weird undercurrent of like women as property as well because oh, yeah. it's even explicitly said like you you will you you know um what's the guy's name uh I forget um his, her her suitor mm. um it starts with an s because all most Vulcan names start with s and and female names start with t at least for a while uh and and, and T'Pau says something like, OK, you, you, he will own you, you know, like and, and we don't yeah. we don't know much about Vulcan society. So we don't know if that's literal or yeah. figurative. Is that, just, is, that that, just... is that like the marriage ceremony here where you're just sort of saying things that are longstanding traditions, but yeah. not necessarily enforced?
1: Because, I mean, we have a I mean, this is a society which does give women power and pr- and assumedly property. I mean, to Pal, we we can make the very obvious guess that she has a lot of both.
0: And she's, I mean, she's even explicitly said to be the only person who has ever turned down a seat on the Federation Council, yeah. which implies that not only is she of extremely high standing in Vulcan society, she's extremely well respected in Federation society. She has power. She's very intelligent. And she, and has, she probably has a lot of money, too.
1: I was going to say – she doesn't have the because being asked to join the Federation is a sign that you have are a very well respected and powerful individual. By her turning it down, that's her saying no. I'm even more powerful than the Federation. Like the Federation needs me a hell of a lot no more than I need the Federation. Yeah, you know, yeah. Vulcan doesn't need the Federation in order to. I mean, that's a well. I think that's you know, a fair. I, she's the kind of person who. Can insult the Federation and get away with it, and still have them probably. Apply, you know, I, I really assume the Federation is making overtures to her every couple of years to see if she's changed her mind. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, I think you
0: might be re- misreading this a little bit. It's not that Vulcan isn't a member of the Federation; it's that she just turned down a seat on the Council.
1: Like, so who? Well, so she's not uh, the Vulcan leader. She's just. Uh, oh, she
0: might be. I don't know.
1: I, I couldn't tell if it was like the she's. You know the governor, or is she? You know the president, or she the emperor? Or like yeah, that. like
0: she could be whatever. I mean, if she's
1: a governor, then that could you know that makes sense. You know, if she's the leader of Vulcan, then her not taking a seat on the council either is a conflict of interest type thing or a sign of Vulcan's attitude towards the Federation. If she's just talking about if she's just the leader of the locality, right. that doesn't mean as much. That isn't as. I mean, again, either way, it's her saying she, whatever domain she's a part of, does not need the Federation.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where the the, and this is something that totally you're not gonna you're not gonna know because this hasn't really been explained in the, in the show, um, and this is something that's never really like, there's no episode where they explain like the governance of how the Federation exactly yeah. works, but it, it kind of bits and pieces over the whole franchise, um, you know. So so Vulcan is a founding member of the Federation. Uh, along with Earth and and, and, a, and a, a three other um, planets. and uh, Or maybe in Enterprise, they they retcon that to two. I don't remember, um, but Enterprise is kind of, we don't need to talk about that ever, except when we do. Um, <laughs> except then,
1: for the couple of years that we're going to spend watching every episode. How long did it go for?
0: Four seasons.
1: Except for the couple of years we're going to spend talking about every single episode. God it. damn
0: it, why are we going to do that?
1: Hey, Richard, I've got a great idea with the podcast. Okay, Eric, this will be fun. We're
0: going to we're gonna be very drunk when we record episodes about Enterprise.
1: Hooray! Um,
0: but anyway, so so planets join the Federation when they have a certain amount of, of things happening, which is... Getting they, to
1: warp, right? That's a thing? Getting to warp, Getting to yes. warp is a thing?
0: Getting to warp as soon as they can leave their, their own solar system and, and kind of go off on their own. Also, they have to have a world government... Um, that has to be okay. a thing as well. Like they all have to be like in agreement. that This is what they want to do. And then there's like other things as well. And they have all these tests and whatever. Um, now they do keep their own planetary government, and they can have their own ships and their you know it's it's kind of like it's it's very similar to the way that like the United States just, is set up, oh, okay, where okay. you have individual states with their own governments and their own laws. And even their own militaries and all this kind of thing. But you have this larger government that is... Uh, it, 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 it's more a, yeah. powerful than them and passes yeah. laws that affect all of them. And right. they have like this sort of, they uh, figure out the domains of what the overarching
1: has jurisdiction over and what the right. individual rights have.
0: But yeah, so, so that's sort of like the background of yeah. the Federation and how to turn down a seat council. on the Federation council. So the council is sort of like
1: the governing it's, body. yeah, it's
0: kind of like Congress or whatever. Um, now it, it, I really think that it's interesting that Vulcan society is so, mannered even when it's being very barbaric well because there's a ritual to this there's a form this needs to take you can't talk out of turn we also see the first example of the famous Vulcan salute live long and prosper in this episode uh and of course that we all know that that has a really long lineage in Star Trek and it's it's kind of implied that this is this is a top-down society.
1: Yeah. Well, I have to say the ritual makes complete sense to me. So, I'm not uh you're familiar with the concept of the Bakhtinian carnival, which yeah. is essentially that there are spaces in which, you know, we most in most spaces we have societal roles and we have strictures and restrictions and laws and everything like that. And then there are spaces that are set up in which you know, the rules are bent. You're allowed to act out. You're allowed to break them in the spirit of celebration or festivity. So you have, if you have a society which is super logical, super restrained, super strict, and then you have this period which is the exact opposite, you need something countering it. So therefore, this extreme violence and this extreme, you know, Libido and this extreme, uh, these extreme, you know, you, you can imagine what the hormones are like. Uh, therefore, that kind of needs to be even more prescribed. The space in which that does, so you have to, sur- you have to surround it by ritual and by, uh, you know, chanting and by you know instruments and by you know th- this happens in this specific time, or else it will get out of control. So in a way, they allow. They control the violence by allowing it to go unfettered within a very small space.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And this is a very obviously ritualized uh, environment. Um, They're not using this ceremony grounds to park their hover cars when they're not having marriage ceremonies. Like, this is used specifically for this kind of thing. It's like an arena, basically. Um, So let's talk a little bit about how the episode gets resolved because i think it's it's a little bit of a cheat but i think it earns it um because it's set up that vulcan's uh it's very hot and the air is thinner so the the air pressure is is, is lower um which means of course that it's harder to breathe and you get tired more quickly yeah. and you sweat and so you know that kind of thing happens um and Kirk and Spock it's set up that they have to fight of course because to pal deems it so and chooses Kirk to fight for, well, for her. Yeah. no um, knowing that he's probably going to lose because he is not a Vulcan and he's not able, he doesn't know anything about this, he's not yeah. he's not uh, acclimated to the environment.
1: And as she explains, she you know, she honestly doesn't care either way because if Kirk dies, well she'll, you know, she she's no worse off and you know, Spock's going to be away doing Federation stuff, so she'll be happy if Kirk wins. He's going to decline it anyway, so she's she has the same exact life no matter what. Again, Which she...
0: I don't know if that's a good assumption to make, because Kirk is quite the ladies' man.
1: Yeah, and he, do, he does might, he want to be tied down? He might like a little T'Pau action.
0: T'Pau's
1: the, the uh, old lady. He might like a little of that, yeah. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I misspoke, but maybe he likes both of them. I have to say, she... Uh, Kirk uh, just likes the ladies.
1: The old, you know... To Powell, so to the real T'Pau, the old, the matriarch. Uh, she tells only about half of what's going on. I mean, you could tell how little of a fuck she gives about this. Like, this is just what she does, and you know, probably it'll come out for the best. But you know, Kirk's a human. He's so like, he doesn't. He barely exists for her. You know, she doesn't really feel the need to tell him everything because I
0: don't know that. I don't know that I I buy that because I think that she does care.
1: But why wouldn't she but, say, "Look, this fight's to the death. Are you sure you want to do this?" Because like because
0: she she respects the laws and customs of Vulcan and I think she assumes that if you don't know what you're getting into, then it's your own damn fault.
1: I don't know. Like Kirk I- is
0: a Kirk is a Starfleet captain. I mean, he 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 assumedly should know something about Vulcan society. I mean, Vulcan is a member of the Federation and, and a longstanding ally of, of Earth. Yeah, but and... there's still
1: – this is something that Spock specifically says, like, we don't talk about this to Okay, outsiders. true, true. You know, obviously she recognizes that, all right, you know, yeah, there is a precedent for, you know, you tell someone outside who you're super close to. But for the most part, I mean, this is – the implication is that, you know, people – you know, humans don't really – to see this ritual very often. So it's, it's obscure enough that you would think that as a Kurdish she, she would just say like, look, the reservations you're having, they're nowhere near where I would think they would be for you. Just... Here's what's going on. You know, here's the... Yeah, but
0: Vulcans aren't big on courtesy. That's true. So I don't really see that as a problem. And I just think, you know, I mean, it's a Pal just doesn't... It doesn't maybe even factor into her mind at that point, really. I mean, she's That's very... That's what I mean. Like, she's, she's so aloof in... from
1: that that it doesn't matter. I don't
0: think she's aloof. I just... If not she that it doesn't about... matter, but I just think, you know...
1: If the thought of... Because she, she has to look at the situation and... I think she cares
0: make... more about maintaining respect for the ritual and respect yes. for the customs of Vulcan than she does about any one individual person. And that's fine. And so. that, Well, that,
1: that's what I'm saying. Like, that that's exactly main point. She doesn't care enough to explain to that. If she felt that, because uh, she could look at the situation logically and feel that, you know, Kirk's odds are stacked away against him. So if she cared at all about insulting the Federation by letting a starship captain die on her watch or... Even just of the loss to the galaxy of Captain Kirk, she would have made the warning. She would have said, "Look, this fights to the death, and you know, you know that, right?" And because when he tell, you know, when she does reveal that, she almost seems, she says like, "You didn't." She seems kind of dicky how she says, you know, she yeah, lets him know that.
0: I mean, I can see that, but I think on like, the other hand, all
1: fights are to the death.
0: I mean, on the other hand, though, what's the Federation going to do? Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, and we, we at the very end of the episode where the orders come in and they say, "Oh, well, you know." Uh, the Enterprise is authorized to divert to Vulcan. Any delay is okay on orders of T'Pau. The Federation respects her, like, to some insane degree for reasons that we don't know. And even if Kirk actually died, I don't think anything would happen to her. No. So, but let's get to Kirk dying. So, uh... McCoy, well, the fight is going on, and the fight is not going well. And he goes to 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 Pow in, in a state of agitation and says, "Oh, you know, look, you, uh, he's he's killing him. This is not fair. I'm going to inject him with this. L- let me do this because it will compensate." And yeah, he's like, like this yeah, is an oxygen whatever, compound, fine. Like, triox compound. I think he calls it. And it turns out that what it actually is is it puts him into some sort of medically induced coma, so it looks like he's dead. Yeah. Um, but he's not actually dead. And then at the end of the episode, everyone's happy. bring is going. The madness leaves Spock. They all beam back up to the ship. Uh, yay! The day is saved. Uh, except that Spock thinks Kirk is dead, and of course we probably yeah. don't really think Kirk is dead.
1: But well, we, th- we, we the question we have is how does Kirk come back to life? Because we we know that they're not going to kill him on the first episode of
0: of the second season.
1: Well, they might if they want to put a new captain in.
0: Maybe, yeah, but they could have done that. The thing
1: is, that's 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 a two thousand show move. It's yeah. not a 1960s show move.
0: So they get back, and Spock goes in and into and, and sick bay and talking to McCoy, and you know, Kirk comes out from behind him and says something to Spock, and, and Spock gets this like... Momentary, he gets this. Yeah, <laughs> like he's really ecstatically happy, and he says, "Jim." He
1: gets this. I get it. and and Spock calling someone his first by the first name is, uh you know, because he always calls him Captain. You know, well, not time. always,
0: not always. He's called him Jim a few times, and before. every
1: time it does, it's fairly significant. He doesn't. Yeah. Just, he doesn't call him Jim casually. It's always during very either intimate or high-stakes moments.
0: Yeah, yeah. And this comes up much, much yeah. later as well, um, thinking about one of the movies, which I, I love uh, this little interaction that they have. But anyway, uh, and so, you know, from that, it's 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 implied that, you know, I don't know what's implied there. I just think it's... It's it, just, this is...
1: Because even though he doesn't show, him, you know, he does have these emotions. They're just things that he can normally suppress, and normally, you know, small emotions aren't, are easy for him to do, you know, just the everyday, you know, happiness and sadness, he's able to be, seeing that you're, thinking your best friend is dead, and then suddenly finding out that he's alive, for for a person would be just such an overjoyed, like, honestly, if that happened to you, a smile and, you know, me shouting Eric would be too, would be a very low emotion, low reaction, so... You know, in a way that 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 that's because he's a Vulcan, he's able to have that subtle a reaction to the moment, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe the implication there is that, you know, yeah. Vulcans are really good at, um, at at suppressing emotion, but very, very like strong emotions yeah. like, you know, joy, rage. Uh, things like that, which are very difficult, even for for hu- which are difficult for humans to control, um, just just cause this momentary yeah. loss of of, of of emotional control, and then of course you know, and it's nice because it's a nice little moment, and of course Kirk and McCoy both know how much Spock cares about about Captain Kirk, and they get to rib him a little bit about yeah. it, and then he gets to be the high and mighty Vulcan. Um, like,
1: how dare you? That's the, he. how dare you insult me by saying I had a human emotion. Yeah. Know, I love when he does that, like how, how Kirk has, the, how Spock has this pride. He finds the he's the human side distasteful.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, all in all, I, I think it's a great episode. Yeah,
1: there's a great moment. I mean, even earlier when he first, at, like, the, you know, when he tells Kirk, you know, I can bring people, you coming, you know, Kirk takes it, yes, is touched, but he, figures that McCoy is super touched by this because that he recognize you know, and they both recognize exactly what this is, you know, he's asking them and what he's demonstrating by saying, you know, by asking them.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Uh,
1: I think that's nice. Even though McCoy and Spock aren't, are quarreling with each other, they do still have that deep respect and, you know,
0: yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we should move on to the next episode, but before we do, uh, I just want to ask you, how much do you want to try some Plomach soup?
1: Oh, was that that thing that he not at all?
0: Yeah, me either. It's probably terrible. Unless it's I, it. think that, I think that Vulcan cuisine would probably be uh, fairly bland. All right. How many triples would you give this episode? Nine. Wow, nine. Yeah. I'll give it ten. I know you don't give things ten unless they have something on the level of Baylock Or triples. Or triples.
1: And, and, and I, I, I think I may take points off for Chekhov. I'm not sure
0: yet. All right, well let let's let's get into checkoff. So let's move on to our second episode for this week. Who mourns? Who mourns for Adonaius? I can't pronounce that. I'm just going to keep saying Adonis. Ah, ah, do do, ni Nye- Nus.
1: Adelinus.
0: Ugh. well, I don't want to talk about the peanuts. Mmm, peanuts. Okay, so check-off.
1: <laughs> it's just like what? What is the
0: point of checkoff?
1: Does any Every other character is, like, cool, and he's just like, I'm a little Moppet with a haircut.
0: He's annoying. Yeah. I will give you that. Um, his hair, well, he, he appeared in a muck Time very briefly. I think he actually had hair then. Um, in, in Who Mourns for Adonais, or whatever it is. Uh, it's four he, syllables. He definitely, it's just way too complicated. I don't, you know, just let's leave it alone. Uh, he is obviously wearing a bad wig, which they did not fit on his head properly. (laughs) Um, he has an extremely stereotypical Russian accent, which Mm -hmm. does not sound like a real Russian accent. Um, yeah, he's,
1: there's nothing to recommend him.
0: Chekhov is not really my favorite Star Trek character at all. I just, I don't mind him, but I don't feel like he adds a whole lot to the show. I'm
1: looking forward to the parts when he devel- develops psychic powers and then starts being really cool and badass. But like, like I like Walter Canning for Bester because he's amazing and that. You oh yeah, Bester in Babylon Five is one of my favorite characters. Like yeah. he's just he nails that. And here it's just like, eh, and
0: okay, yeah, and 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 good for you, Chekhov. are yeah yeah good for you. Chekhov really doesn't like get developed that much ever. He's just kind of there. And he's in the movies because he was one of the main cast members, but you know, eh, 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 not really that interesting. Um
1: I think he was just, I mean, a one of Sulu's many, you know, boy toys, and it's you know, he just kinda of stuck around. Maybe he and Sulu are married and that's why he's there.
0: Yeah, that's probably not accurate. This is like so, the gay
1: Sulu episode, by the way.
0: Oh god, why?
1: Uh well, because uh, number one, who identifies the object attacking the ship as a hand? Sulu. Sulu starts. So what? What's gay about that? Well, the hand grabs the Enterprise. So now you need to, you need to make the step of uh, 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 of using a metonym to have the ship as a stand-in for Sulu's penis. Now I know why. It, it's a lit major thing. Wouldn't like, it be Kirk's penis? No, no, no. In this usually, but in this case, it's Sulu because Sulu is specifically the one who's controlling it. It's a lit major thing. Just just
0: roll with Apollo's this. Apollo's controlling the hand, not Sulu.
1: Yeah. The hand that's grabbing the Enterprise that while while Sulu rocks it back and forth and thrusts. Uh-huh. He says he's stuck tight. He expels a force into the hand. I mean, it's 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 pretty gay. I thought
0: he he he's the helmsman. He's in yeah. charge of that.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I I'm just saying. Uh-huh. Look, it's it's in and of itself. It doesn't mean anything. Uh-huh. But altogether, this sure. is like you know. By the end of this series, you will be on the. Uh, you will be on the side of Gay Sulu.
0: Sure. Okay. I well, heard he drinks
1: tea at one point.
0: Making your case. Just keep making your case, I, and I'm going to be very disaffected about the whole thing.
1: So this episode has inspired a lot of macrophilia fanfics, right? Like that's tap, that has happened. I don't
0: right? know. I don't read fanfiction.
1: It's just she's gigantic and like attacking a woman. Like I, 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 I can see people, and I can see people having masturbated to this episode. I'm just saying.
0: So anyway, uh, this episode is okay.
1: I It's one of those that I really liked and started liking it less as it went on. Yeah, it's kind of...
0: I don't know how to explain it exactly because there's some nice teamwork in there and some characters get to show off that don't normally get to scotty, show off Scotty's scotty awesome in this episode i think this is the most that scotty has ever been in any episode before and he's quite good uh check off as well is in this episode and uh he is check off um and he's 22 years old as we find out um you know, it's it's a it's a I think it's a a solid episode of the show that doesn't really add up to all that much and it's enjoyable and it's fun to watch and sit down and watch it every few years and you'll have a good time.
1: And yeah, I agree with that. And yet I find this episode had a lot of fascinating implications, especially on a on a Star Trek women role.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's what I want to bring up because oh yeah. We have not had a good long conversation about gender politics Uh in Star Trek in a few episodes now. And holy God, they came back in full force in this episode, like, roaring back. Wow. Uh, That was a run on sentence. But so we have a another new female lieutenant. How much do you miss Yeoman ran, by the way?
1: Uh, anytime they show a blonde on the show, I miss her like because, you know, I mean, and, and it's sad that they're kind of interchangeable, but they they are. And every time I just think, Yo and ran would have kicked ass at this.
0: So she's set up as a hard worker. You know, she she comes up on the bridge and, and she says that she was up all night preparing this report and blah, blah, blah. And then Scotty hits on her. And it's kind of creepy um, because Scotty is approximately 35 years older than her. Yeah. Um, Probably could be her father. We don't know. He wants to be her daddy. So <laughs> Kirk says. "Yeah." Oh,
1: God. I hope we're thinking of the same thing.
0: Kirk says <laughs> that she's going to find a man in <laughs> <leave> the service.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's like, I, I feel like
0: I'm losing an officer. Like she is a secretary <laughs> at a law firm in 1965. <laughs> And she's there to get married to a lawyer, and then she is going to leave her job and never work again. So apparently, I, by the way,
1: the 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 Starfleet, you can kind of just go in and out like a regular job.
0: I really could not fathom that line and had totally forgotten about it. Uh, that's just something that happened. I don't know if you have anything in particular to uh, say about it. Uh,
1: uh, the fact that... Most likely, she I, I, I would figure that her romantical path would be to, you know, somebody who she works with. For example, Scotty, who wouldn't, you know, the two of them would be on a ship anyway if they're married, and why not continue their careers? Like, number one, that would make the most sense for something like that. Sure,
0: that would be fine. Uh,
1: number two, like, she's made lieutenant. She's not, like, this is a position that—she's not just a— and i'm just doing starfleet until i can find something like she's obviously been working long enough that and her field is like cultural anthropology she or something is so a, she's studied she's a scientist she's you know?
0: a goddamned anthropologist yeah you presumably in the future you would still have to go to graduate school to become yeah. an anthropologist you are in starfleet which is like the uh you know, very prestigious service. Yeah. And you the assumption is that she is just there to find a husband. I was okay. gonna say
1: the, the didn't the actual real life military at the time have women in positions who weren't just secretaries,
0: like I don't know about that. I don't actually. know. Because
1: I mean, I know like obviously at that point you would ha still have uh you would have women in academia, and I would assume that some of them would be I don't know. I mean, obviously not as widespread as now, but I don't know. The point is, yeah.
0: Yeah, the point is, whoa. Um, So basically the episode is set up as this is I mean, it's an entertaining episode, but I I find it to be extremely problematic from 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 a couple of angles in that. You know, number one, it's got this kind of crazy plot where this hand comes out of this planet in space and holds the Enterprise and they go down and there's Apollo and he says he's Apollo and he was on Earth 5000 years ago and he's a god and he wants to be worshipped and I'm not letting you leave. That's what the episode is set up to be. And there's a Greek temple and go find some goats and, you know, Mm -hmm. build houses and and enjoy your life here. Um, And of course, they don't like this and they want to leave, which is all totally fine and fine set up for a Star Trek episode. What I find very problematic about this episode is... That line sets up this episode and this character to be uh, something which I generally detest about the original series, which is the female officer as annoying uh driver of plot
1: yeah she's a prize to be won she is a
0: uh... she's irrational she falls under the spell of apollo she falls in love with him as soon as he puts the pretty clothes on her she turns into a shrieking harpy and it's just like oh i I love these clothes so much let me just go off into the woods with you now and make out and forget that i'm a an accomplished anthropologist in starfleet like
1: i Third time we've seen a woman put on a dress and, you know, totally charmed by an item of clothing beyond just like – I mean, you you find yourself wearing those kind of clothes like, oh. But that completely changes her entire personality. It's one of those episodes where the woman shows uh, – this, this reminds me of Space Seed a lot because it's – the woman shows a bit of spunk and, you know, of intelligence, of drive, of ambition – and that doesn't make her an independent character in her own right. It makes her suitable as a mate for a superior man. Because obviously yeah. someone like Khan or Apollo isn't going to be fine with just the average woman. They, You know, he needs somebody who is more, but... He's, st- you know, that doesn't make them equals. That makes him her better than the other women, but still less than him.
0: Or not even that. I mean, think about shore leave with the with the random lieutenant yeah, from that episode, true. where she just gets into these fancy princess clothes, and there's no intelligent, you know, u- uber man above her that's doing anything, but she still turns into like this simpering uh, mess of a woman. Um, and it, it's really, really, real. I mean, I, I just. What I thought – where I thought this... they were going to go with the episode was there was an interesting
1: see, – see, I thought they were going to do something much different with her because one of the main themes of this episode – Well, you were wrong. Yeah. One of the main themes of this – What? It... because one of the th- sub-themes of this episode, which we've seen already, is that power needs to be tempered by compassion. Sure. Um, that if you're doing just something for your Which is st-
0: interesting if you think about T'Pau as well, but – of course. Um,
1: so there's the scene where the, you know, Kirk, Spock, Chekhov and sorry, Kirk, whoever the hell is on the planet. Uh, of
0: it's, it's McCoy, Kirk, Chekhov, and Spock, S- no, you know, not Scotty, because Spock, Spock's S- upstairs. Scotty, Chekhov, Kirk, McCoy and, uh, Lieutenant, uh, Lady. Yeah. Lieutenant um, Lady.
1: there's a point where they, they have this plan and they basically figure that he has, uh, Apollo's power. Like they, they essentially figure if he, Zaps one of them, he's going to need a recharge. So they figure one of them's just going to take a sacrifice and get attacked. And then while he's weak and Apollo's weak and the other, are just going to rush him, right? So they're about to do this. And, and that's a
0: great scene, actually, yeah. because they 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 start laughing at him, yeah. And he gets very flustered and yeah. annoyed and he doesn't know what's going on,
1: yeah. They want to, you know, because the entire time they're talking, and so so the and the character of Apollo, you know, while he's with the men, he's all very like, I'm Apollo, and then. When he's talking to her, he's talking about how his because they, eventually they figure out he's a an alien being that came to Earth in the guise of God, and he's talking about how the other gods have gone away forever, and he's just lonely. And you know, she's re- he exposes his vulnerability to him, where he's very much used to being worshipped and adored, and he doesn't have this, and he doesn't know what to do. And so showing these displays of power is the only real way he knows how to get love. It's not. it's it's reminds me of that um Spir- Squire of Gothos episode where mm-hmm. you have this powerful being who just is undeveloped in some way and doesn't understand. So they're trying to get him to attack it, and she comes in front of him and saying, Look, no, have compassion for these people. You know, these are, you know, you want these people to worship you, but you know, you can't do this to them. And so I thought, oh shit. So that's gonna be how this is. You know, she's the one, you know, she Yes, I may be this flighty woman, but I'm humanizing this guy. And, you know, yes, he you know wants her and she, you know, threw her love for him back. He realizes that I can't just do power. And, and that would have been an interesting episode in line with the show's philosophy of diplomacy, cooperation, find a third option. No, you don't want to fight this guy. You need to make him realize, you know, he needs to use his power for the, for the benefit of, of people. But they don't go that in. They tell her, look, you're being, you know, you're betraying us, which, you know, and knock that off, and that's it. And they defeat him at the end.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much it. And yeah, the episode is, ex- I mean, the episode's weird almost in how straightforward it is, because yeah. I think you kind of get the impression that that's what's going to happen. I mean,. You know, and it even, you know, yes, I mean, the very end of it with with Kirk ordering her to snap out of it and, and, and go, I don't even know what she did, just made him angry or something. I, I mean, whatever. Uh it made him angry enough so that they could get the phasers down and blow up the, the building that was powering his magical lightning and, and, and abilities to grow and, and disappear and reappear.
1: I've said several times, usually when they're executing the plan, I have no idea what they're working and
0: what they're doing.
1: And I just kind of understand it as Kirk has to do something. I hope he can.
0: Yeah, yeah. that that was very unclear. Yeah. I mean, not alternative uh, factor unclear, but it was unclear. Uh but I mean, even even you know, putting that aside, and yes, I I think that that would have been an interesting way to approach this episode. Just have her um, be working this plan or something, and, and and perhaps not be under his power, and just being like, hey, you know, like da da da. But you know, like you said, that would have been an interesting episode. Kirk even at one point, sorry,
1: just uh hoped that like he's you know they're they're saying like, look, we have to get her away, and he, she says he says like, look, we don't even know if she's just you know pretending or not, you know, and. I know because I've seen an episode of Star Trek before that. Obviously, he's delusional. She's just charmed by the dress. But
0: <laughs> but I think it, it, it's weird how strongly, like, sexist this is. Yeah. In light of the fact that the show has not been this sexist in a while. Yeah. And it's also, I think, out of character for them. Because McCoy and Kirk have this weird conversation on the bridge about her leaving the service because she wants to find a man. Uh, And then they go down to the planet, and she says, I don't know why I'm here. Yeah, She's, a, she's an accomplished anthropologist, and, yeah, ancient she has history, to have her... and she has to have McCoy, a man, explain to her why she's coming on this yeah. <laughs> away mission. Like, what is that about?
1: I mean, in I, I recognize that they were doing it as a clumsy, as you know, type of thing, but they could have been number one, they could have more deftly handled that by, a oh, look, we need an anthropologist. You know, you have experience. Or even in,
0: just a line, oh, I can't wait to see what this person who thinks they're a Greek god yeah. looks like because I am an anthropologist. Like, whatever. There's, there's a know, dozen ways you can. There's a lot of better ways you could have done that and that, expect, that weren't incredibly sexist.
1: But but I think it's interesting in light of the fact that there's a point where you see Ahura, like, soldering some kind of the community, because they're trying to Fix the communications. So she's under the hood soldering it. Uh, I, I assume the implication is that, you know, Scotty would normally do that, but he's not. So and, you know, Spock asks her for an ETA and she says, Look, it's gonna take a while. I can't really, you know, hurry that up because it's just it's been years since I've done this, you know? And Spock's like, Well, I think if anybody can do it, you know, you can and she's like, All right, you know. And the implication is that she's not having any troubles because of any uh 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 deficiencies in her it's just a simple like this isn't really what she does she's built these things you know she did this in college you know a million times and it's It's delicate
0: work and she wants to make sure that she gets it right it's not her
1: everyday thing if she was you know if this were 10 years ago when she was studying this she could have gotten this done in 20 you know 15 minutes sure but but that being said nobody questions her ability to ultimately get it done like yeah yeah that's that's a hurrah being a hurrah that's you know She's capable. She's very capable. We, you know, th- it, 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 that's in the same episode that has this other character who is just looking for him getting her MRS in Starfleet.
0: I mean, well, 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 I mean, let's talk about that a little bit because I think Uhura is kind of the outlier here. She's the exception that proves the rule because – You know, we've we've got Yeoman Rand, who is basically space secretary. You've got Nurse Chapel. Um, You've got all these random uh, female lieutenants coming in and out of the show, which usually are are, uh, portrayed as sexist in some in some way, especially in this episode. Uh, But then throughout all of this, there's Uhura. And uh, so far, she has not been sexualized. I mean, certainly she's wearing a little mini skirt and, you know, she's a woman and things like that. Um,
1: but she's a cute girl on tv so of course yeah
0: um that still happens
1: yeah that's television yeah beyond like it's no more sexist than the rest of tv
0: throughout time but she's she's Always on the bridge. She's a competent bridge officer. She's she's shown to be smart. She has her own ideas. Uh, she is e- even takes over other roles on the bridge at some she point. She can take the helm in a crisis. She, right. I mean, there's all these... I mean, Spock respects her very much. I mean, Kirk respects her. I mean, they know that she can get yeah. things done. So... I don't. I don't know yeah. what the. I don't know what the like cognitive dissonance there is with yeah. with this show and and women. There's like,
1: never been the un- anything resembling another understanding that you know or her is not a lifer. You know they they figure you know she's going to retire from this at age sixty with full honors. You know that's kind of a, a given on this show, I assume. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And anytime she's. I, I'm trying to think of times she's been menaced and the Napoleon episode is the only one I can think of. And she immediately, she's not comfortable in that episode. Like she, she recognizes like, this is weird. I mean, right. she usually, she rarely gets taken in.
0: Right, right. You know, and I think there's, you know, we may not be able to answer the the Uhura question. I mean, that just might be, She's a main character. She's a you know? main character. And she's the exception towards the rule. Yeoman think...
1: ran. Nobody. They didn't really. No, they they didn't make any. It, I I assume if they thought Yeoman ran would be the same way as one of the throwaways, they would have made a. Well, she's only Yeoman until she gets married. Commented.
0: Somewhere. Yeah, and
1: who knows if they might have eventually? I don't know.
0: Maybe. And I, you know, it's funny because there's 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 little little things in this episode. All these little lines that if they were just in 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 absent, you know, if they were just in sort of like a, a vacuum, it, it wouldn't be. Uh, anywhere near as noticeable, but they come in this episode a lot. I mean, there's even a line that Apollo says where, I mean, he literally says you seem wise for a woman (laughs) like, and you know, if the episode hadn't had all the sexist stuff from the other main characters and the other portrayals of of, of her, um, you could have used that in a much more interesting way to say, Oh, Apollo, you know, he's, Uh, what hasn't been on earth in 5,000 years. Greek
1: society, men and women are very, uh, we're very separated.
0: Yeah. To show how out of touch he is. I mean, because of course, you know, there's a great line in the episode and the episode is well written. Um, it has a lot of really cool lines where Kirk says, you know, we have no need for gods. We're okay with the one.
1: That was a very fascinating, that had a lot of implications that I don't know if the show necessarily meant to imply, but that were definitely there. Well, explain. Um, well, it, 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 it's – a lot of times you see science fiction dealing with this kind of – this is not the first thing that I've seen where it's it, 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 it's come with the theme that we've transcended religion or we've transcended these gods – but usually they make more of, and and usually have humanity being this humanist, atheistic society, and the others having you know Vulcan type of religions, you know, where it's just this weird mystical woo woo stuff. That's it's like, in a,
0: it's like Buddhism or whatever. Yeah,
1: an excuse to wear cool costumes and you know, prayed random things around. Um, so to have Kirk explicitly, you know, saying that the show that humanity has an explicitly. Monothe is a monotheistic thing that, as a man of as much of a man of science as Kirk and all of his friends are, he still believes that there is a single, assumingly Judeo Christian God out there. That's the religion that the show, because we explicitly states, is the correct view of the universe. That our again Christian conception of God is right and. Anything else is just uh, an alien posing.
0: Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't think that that's, um, I don't think that's incorrect. I mean, I, I think you have to look at it from the point of view that you know this is a, this is an American television of show, course. you know, made for an American audience in, in the sixties in 60s, the 60s. when
1: you are fighting godless commies, right?
0: Like that just makes sense, and you know, I, I don't think that they necessarily meant to imply anything about the religion of the federation and you know oh well no no maybe there aren't any more uh, buddhists and maybe there aren't any more hindus whatever it is but i you know i don't think they meant to imply that but i think no obviously the lines of smackdown
1: he's saying you know you're you're you know we don't need your little you know piddly god you know we've we've got an actual one of those right we don't need you
0: right so, I mean, do, do you think that, that Apollo, the threat that Apollo uh, portrays is is anything that really seems dangerous?
1: It's just the usual. I, I, I mean, at this point, you know, guest star traps the Enterprise and keeps a small party on the thing while they figure out how to defeat him is kind of par for the course. That's kind of what's going to happen most weeks. So I'm not necessarily... Uh, uh uh do I feel that Apollo specifically ha is threatening? I mean, he can zap phasers into stuff, so I guess
0: sure. But he never kills anybody and he kind of seems almost like a petulant child. I mean, I That's it. Talking-
1: well, that's why I felt it reminded me of Squire of Gothos cuz he yeah. is a character who is has power but there is an aspect of the uh, 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 cultural maturation or societal maturation that just has not yet happened. In Squire of Gothos' case, you assume that that's just because he's a child. He's eventually going to grow out of it. Uh, he has two pe- his, has his parents looking out for him and in- ensuring that that development takes place. Yeah. Um, Apollo, meanwhile, was king shit for a while on Earth and has been alone the entire time. So he i mean i mean i mean you hear these power you know stories of you know like pharaohs in egypt with this unlimited power just because they were told the entire time you have unlimited power so obviously he has nothing stopping him you know even somebody who becomes like on earth famous at a young age usually Kat is a massive egotist he has power, but nothing checking him.
0: Yeah, and I also think, I mean, that's certainly true. And I also think there, there's a, there's another implication there, which which maybe is that he's gone a little crazy. I mean, we don't know anything about oh, this yeah. alien. We don't know anything about his society, his makeup. And it may be just possible that he's been alone on this planet for 2,000 years. I mean, however long it's been since the last member of his yeah. species went away. He and
1: mentions 5,000 years yeah. since he's seen Earth, so.
0: Yeah, so it's been a very long time. I mean, obviously, this is a long-lived uh species but we don't necessarily even know that they're a non-corporeal i don't think they are um and yeah he just might be nuts
1: put it this way a, a week without talking to a single person kind of messes people up a little bit yeah yeah so um i mean although to be fair if you read all of the myths i mean the character of apollo in this episode is in keeping with the mythological uh a, a portrayal of the gods, which is that they are very capricious, that they will change their mind from one second to the other, that they are quick to punish and quick to anger and sure. they don't, you know, what, one of the interesting things about the Greek myths is how petty the gods are at that point. So, I, I it could just be, that's who Apollo is.
0: Yeah, that could be. That totally could be. Um,
1: you know, he's an asshole. They're full stop.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So, so, uh, I think at the end of the day, it's a fine episode, but nothing really that spectacular. Um, and it, as, as long as it gave us stuff to, you know, bitch about sexism again.
1: It just bothered me that at the end, you know, Kirk looks all wistful and goes, you know, Perhaps we could have gathered a few laurel leaves. And it's like, you don't get to do say that. No, no, you don't get the entire time. You're like, well, fuck that guy. You know, he's an asshole. We've got to get out of here. You know, laurel leaves, you know, suck my dick. Fuck you. But now that he's dead, maybe had a
0: point. <laughs> yeah, that's a little weird. <laughs> it seemed like it seemed like, you know, they wanted to have like some, one of those like star Trek cappers <laughs> at the end and just couldn't quite get it to work. Yes. So they had him say something kind of dumb.
1: I was going to say, but, but the thing cause is, it's kinda,
0: cause yeah. it's kind of like, you know, at the end of an episode, like, okay, let's talk about like balance of terror or arena or errand of mercy. And just like, okay. It's like at the end of errand of mercy if Kirk was like, well, maybe it wouldn't have been, maybe it wouldn't have hurt us too much if we let, a couple Klingons kill a couple people. <laughs> That's what they like to do. You know, like, what? You know, that Horta probably
1: should be extinct.
0: Yeah, like, let's just completely uh, say something that undercuts the entire 49 minutes that have gone by.
1: But what's going to happen? Poor Lazarus stuck between the worlds for. Ever. Oh, you
0: don't understand that episode. Don't pretend <laughs> you don't you understand.
1: Don't. Nobody understands that episode. It was just, it, 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 it was the night before they realized they, you know, they woke up that morning hung over. They had like 10 minutes of an episode filmed and they just took a freakout sequence and just repeated it and hoped nobody noticed. And then 50 years later, two assholes on a podcast make fun of them. Note. I don't think that's real, you know, and poor writer of the the Lazarus experiment. Perhaps that was a good episode after all.
0: Well, here's something that you I didn't say when we recorded uh, the the alternative factor conversation. Yeah. It's actually written by James Joyce. Really? No. Okay. I think he had been dead 67 yeah. Yeah, he drank a lot.
1: He didn't die of drink.
0: Okay, so he how- had
1: a pierced duodenal ulcer. Whatever.
0: So, how many triples would you give this one?
1: Ah, uh, this is a six-triple episode because I found the episode kind of sexist.
0: <laughs> eh, five. It's average. And I just, you know, again, wow, sexism. Great. Yeah. All right. So next week we are going to talk about the Changeling, and oh. a very good episode, which I probably should stop saying, but oh well. Mirror, mirror.